We are now in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, uh, customarily, we start off with a video, so Info, cue it up. about this $7 blender. I'll give you four. Well, since you're wearing olive green, my favorite color, okay, $4 for the blender, please. Oh, shucks, but I only have three. Tell you what, I'll give you three for it and I'll pretend I didn't notice the calcium stains in the pitcher. You're scaring me. I'm gonna have to check with my dad. My Aunt Judy, who recently passed away, had this exact same vacuum. I know she would have wanted me to have it. Offered to me at a lower price. It's just who my Aunt Judy was. Okay, okay. I'll let you have it for 15. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. My dad says you don't look like you're worth the hassle. $3 is fine. Your dad is a smart who, who, man. Who knows it about the show? Yeah. Okay, it's fresh off the boat. Anyway, I, to your surprise, uh, it might surprise some of you, I'm Chinese. And uh, so, yeah, I, I actually was waiting for a laugh. Okay, so through my upbringing, I've come across a few terms in my li lifetime, like uh, my past uh, 42 years. Okay, so, uh, and uh, some of the terms uh, you may come across as well. So please correct me if I, my pronunciations are a little awful. And I'm trying to phonetically do this. I can't, you know, it's just so hard to try to put it into English. Uh, Google just failed me on this one. So does anyone know what njerkso mean? Right? Okay, i.e. not a good deal, not worth it, right? It's like, um, you know, it's just, we don't want to get ripped off. I usually hear it from my parents because when they, uh, when they go to a superstore or something or they go to a market and then uh, they bought something and then uh, suddenly they realize that they, they could have got it cheaper, that this is the phrase that they would say, right? Now, I have an example. Rosanna and I have an example as well. Uh, she's smiling now. I think we know exactly what we're talking about. We went to a, a, a Mediterranean cruise and we stopped by at Santorini uh, in Greece. And some of you know that's where most of the postcards of Greece are taken because if you look at Athens, yeah. <laughs> all right? So anyway, uh, it's Santorini that's where you go. And we, we, we wanted to eat and uh, we were looking for a place to eat lunch or dinner, lunch. And then uh, so we found a restaurant, we thought, yes, let's go and, and uh, go and eat there. And uh, after lunch, uh, while we were walking more into Santorini, into the middle, we noticed that more and more restaurants, they were cheaper for the same meal. And then we got angry. And so for the, long, for the, for the rest of the time when we were walking around Santorini, we were just complaining about how much we paid for the previous meal. And, and then we're noticing more and more restaurants that end uh, cheaper. And then also, we were just completely ignoring the sights and you know, the scenery of Santorini, <laughs> we were just so bogged into complaining about how much uh, we paid too much. so, <laughs> right? Darn, right? Okay, next phrase. Japshu. you know that one? Now, thought, you know, <laughs> the first time I heard this, I thought, why are my parents complaining about picking up books? <laughs> right, like, you know, but it's not. It's, a, it's actually a phrase called losing out, right? 
it's like the fear of losing out, the fear of not being able to. So I got another uh, example. My parents uh, uh, paid for uh, uh, an Alaskan cruise that invited both my brother and, uh, and his wife and myself and, and our family to an Alaskan cruise. And uh, you know, cruise ships, I don't know if you've ever been to one, but uh, it's all you can eat, you know, buffets, right? And then there's this salad bar, a fruit salad bar. And uh, you know, on the description of the card, it says blueberries, fruits, and everything, et cetera, right? And I looked at the, for this humongous uh, fruit salad bar, uh, like the fruit bowl, and there were like hardly any, there were no blueberries. None, right? None whatsoever. And I'm going, oh, maybe like uh, the chef had a bad, you know, they ran out of blueberries. But then uh, I saw another uh, bowl, a humongous bowl of fruit salad, and there was like tons of blueberries there. So I'm observing now. And then uh, when they put it down, I see a bunch of tourists, and I'm not going to name any particular ethnic group, but you know, like, uh, I see a bunch of tourists, they attack it. And then they, get, they take a plate and they pluck every single blueberry out of that fruit salad and put it on their plate so it's like this full. And then they go to their tables and you see all their, their entire table full of blueberries. And I'm like going, wow, they really believe in that, you know, it's antioxidants like, uh, you know, and, and those blueberries. And so, uh, but you know, it's the fear of missing out. The fear of, and I'm sure that you have already seen the YouTube viral video of uh, like a, these uh, tourists who went to this uh, v uh, Thailand or Vietnam buffet and then you see them scooping tons of shrimp uh, out of there and like they were good, like battling it out, like uh, having tons of shrimp, like putting stacks and stacks of plates of that. Yeah. The fear of losing out, right? All right. Now, next one is, uh, now, okay, Brian or Joyce, you gotta help me here. There's a, this is called mianzi. Mianzi, right? That's Mandarin for saving face. All right, so that's another term that I've come across in, in my lifetime as well. Now, now, okay, Lucy, you probably have to correct me on this. The, 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 the definition is broad, right? It's, it's wide, so, it, but the one that I've come across is to not make yourself look like a fool. That's the one that I've been uh, accustomed to. And so uh, when I was a manager over at an importing company, um, like a, I, I was looking after a bunch of staff and they were all um, first generation Asians, uh, Chinese. Uh, they were the ones who were dealing with the Chinese factories. And uh, so what I've noticed was that, that uh, one of the things that they never do is to admit that they made a mistake. None of them wanted to admit the mistake they wanted to blame. None of them wanted to say uh, to ever make a, say an apology. They would just say, oh, they did it, not me, or just to be very defensive, or don't even say anything. And I've come, and I've come to know that uh, one of those uh, coworkers came up to me, and I, because I was asking, how come you guys are just so afraid of admitting you're wrong? It's because, she said, Yenzi, the saving face. They didn't want to lose face in front of their peers, and they didn't want to lose face, so much so that sometimes, as a manager, it's kind of hard, like, this is for you who are aspiring to be managers of people, because uh, we live in such a multicultural, multi-ethnic uh, uh, city now, is that the whole idea of saving face could also prevent people from taking initiative. It's because they fear failure. So if they fail, right, if there's a possibility of failure, there's a possibility of losing face. Right? So like, if you tell them to do a new project or try to like, do new things, and then you wonder why they don't want to do it? It's because possibly it's mianzi. It's a saving face. It's because they just don't want to fail. It's that they've already hit a part where they already succeed in something. They just don't want to look like a fool in front of other people. Here's my thesis for this morning. And uh, we are now approaching Deuteronomy 24. 
this whole definition of saving face, this whole definition of trying to not lose face in front of people or to look like a fool in front of people, the whole idea of not losing out or the whole idea of not being able to you know, get the worthwhile deal or feeling ripped off, this whole thing, this whole idea of saving face, here we go, flies in the face of Christianity. You like that? Anybody? No one of you are left. Okay. You cannot, I, this is my argument, you cannot possibly be a Christian if you're focused on saving face. You cannot be a Christian if you're focused on saving face. Why? Let's go. Let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, let's turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 10. Let's begin. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. The question is, where's my money? Right? That cartoon here, that, that's what, I don't know if you saw that episode, but it's about where's my money? When you lend something in Deuteronomy, like God is telling, through Moses, telling his people, when you lend something like money to a friend, and a friend made a promise to pay you back such and such a time, and doesn't, and doesn't, but instead, every time you text him, any time you call him, he ignores you, keeps on ignoring you. Every time you, you, you try to like, say, oh, when are you going to pay that back? And then they completely ignore you, or they say, yeah, I'll do it, but never does it. They never do it. What, how does that make you feel? I can relate with that. I'm the strata council president, and we have strata fees. And these strata fees are supposed to be paid monthly, right? And uh, we have one unit right now, it's recording, but he probably is not watching this anyway. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, like, we have one unit right now that is right now uh, around like $2,400 in backup strata fees, which equates to about 12 months of backlog of strata fees. All right? That's how low our strata fee is. But, you know, it's like, a, and then what, we, what should we do then? So a lot of the units, a lot of unit owners were saying, you should just go in there and foreclose the property. Just sell it, right? Because we have every right to. We have every right to go and take our lawyer, right, and just say, you know what, that's it. You've always been uh, um, yeah, late on your strata fees. It's time to uh, like, take away your property. Same situation here. Same situation. But what does God say? What does God tell his people, tell us, when we have this type of issue? When we have people owing us money, God says. And this is a great example because it's like money seems to be the biggest test of our Christian faith. So he goes like this. If you, anyone owes you anything, wait outside. What? Wait outside? You mean I can't go in and break ankles? You know, like, you mean that I can't like, take legal action and just sell his property and just throw him out on the street? Right? Why do we have to wait outside? It's because God instructs to trust in him. To not, if you recall in, a, in Romans when Paul says, he says, uh, vengeance is mine, not yours. So he's supposed to take it. What he's trying to say is that you take the high road. Don't worry, trust in me and I'll take care of this issue. I'll take care of this problem. And so it's interesting. And you go, okay, God, why do you want us to do that though? Why do you want us to take the high road? Doesn't it sound like we're just like a little doormat then? We're getting trampled over by people who are doing wrong. Is that what you want? Or is it something more? Is it something different? And so let's move on. If you have your, like, let's continue on in our passages. It goes to verse 12 to 13. If the neighbor is poor, 
Do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so there is one thing that we never usually know what's happening. God is saying, yes, though people may owe you money, though people may owe you a promise of something of some sort, did you know that they might be poor? Did you know that they might be, be struggling in their lives? We never know that. We don't know that until we investigate, right? Remember last week's sermon, right? When I was saying that I was a manager and, and I, like, I wanted the people to succeed and to progress and you know, hit your sales targets for Pete's sake, right? But you know, uh, and then I get so overcome with, uh, with the success of hitting these targets and I get so overwhelmed when just a, I forget the human side of things. I forget that uh, like my, my people, my employees are actually human. And God telling us last week, you've got to make sure to see people the way he sees, human beings, loved ones of God, created in his own image. And, if we, and in order to do that, we had to step back. Before we aim right at the jugular and take legal action or we have every right to, before we do that, we have to take the human approach, treating people as image of God loved ones of God in a humane way. And so what does God say here uh, through Moses? He says, you know that pledge in your possession. Now, what it means by that is uh, it's almost like a a security deposit, right? If somebody were to lend you money, you would take something in return to secure that deposit, uh, like secure that loan, so that if they don't pay it back, you could keep it. Well, poor, the poor back then, the only thing they had for their pledge was their cloak, and they needed that to survive. Their cloak was their way to beg for money. Their cloak was there to shelter, provide shelter for them. So you could equate cloak with homes, with shelters. And if God is saying, yes, like, uh, you have every right to keep their cloak. You have every right to like, keep their pledge. But remember this. They are human beings as well, and they are loved by God. And so do not keep their cloak. Give it back to them. Show grace to them. Provide grace-filled acts. And here's the key right here in part two of this verse. You may go, we all may go, why, Lord, then? Because even though we have every legal right, even though as a strata president, I have every legal right to actually like, sell that guy's unit away to cover all the costs and everything. And also, he's been, he's been an awful tenant anyway, right? He's a horrible neighbor, right? You know the, the unlovable neighbor? You know, like, we, we are called the love neighbors, but they just are so unlovable, right? Lord, you ask, why, like, why do we have to do these things? Well, in verse 14, 13, part, the last part, he says this. They are, these acts that we do are, uh, are regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord. Righteous acts in the sight of the Lord. So here's the one, the first principle. Grace-filled acts. Grace-filled meaning, uh, in, our cont- in our context, uh, if you, by definition, grace meaning giving things that people do not deserve, right? In this context means allowing people like, uh, to be canceling the debts, Canceling people's debts is also grace-filled acts. Grace-filled acts are regarded as righteous acts in the sight of God. Grace-filled acts are regarded as righteous acts in the sight of God. You see, though it may not be juxtaposed, 
right? To actually give up this uh, the the debt. Though it may not be Dr. So to say, what? I have to cancel that loan. I, I'm going to lose all that money, right? Though it may be that. Though it may not be the uh, worthwhile, or uh, these grace-filled acts are regarded as righteous acts in the sight of God. And if we are called as Christians, if we are called to be righteous in God's sight, and he sees these things as righteous acts, then we should do them too. You follow? All right. Let's move on. Verse 14, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, just like the cloak in the previous passage, wages are something that people need. Not just the poor, depend, uh, not just the poor right? We all depend on wages for our livelihood. This passage seems self-explanatory. Of course, owners, business owners, you should pay all your workers on time, regardless whether they're poor or not. But I see a deeper principle here. I see a deeper principle behind this passage that applies to us today. And that's the minimum wage debate. You guys know this debate, the minimum wage debate that we currently have? This is the minimum wage debate that's been going on right now. Why do I say that? It's a phrase found in verse 15, quote, because they are counting on it. You see that? This wages, these wages is what people are counting on, counting on to live. Now, I don't know if uh, you've been living in a rock or in a cave, but it's pretty darn expensive here to live in Vancouver now these days, right? Uh, like the rent is going up and our salaries are not matching the, the cost of living. Definitely not. Even the minimum wage people, like, um, like if you were, if you talk to anyone that's uh, working on minimum wage and is full time, they're having trouble to make ends meet to make the, the rent, to make the payments, to make the mortgage, to make the pay for the groceries. Look at our gas prices right now. Uh, this morning is at 170, I believe, right? These costs continue to go up due to a whole host of reasons, yet wages have not yet risen accordingly. But I am particularly addressing, of course, and this is what God is particularly addressing, is the working poor. Those who are working on a minimum wage and are counting on their salaries, their wages, to live and to be timely, is to, to pay on a timely manner for these, is really important. Managers, directors, and all those who look after employees who are Christian. But I also believe that, uh, that they are, like, if we're a Christian, we have to pay them on a timely manner. Yet, let's go back to the minimum wage here. If the, the salary, the, the people are counting on it to live on, they're counting on this, should not our salaries, our wages, be able to be survive, like live on? Livable. Here's, a, here's an example, before I go and move on, here's an example of a Christian business owner that uh, you may actually came to uh, uh, know because he spoke uh, here uh, two years ago at our executive series. And that, he was uh, John Neat of JJB. And uh, he owns uh, JJB in the chain, coffee chain, and uh, his head office is over at Prior Street uh, in Vancouver. And uh, he made the news recently, I think it was last year. He made the news last year and by becoming the first Vancouver-based company to increase their minimum wage to $14 per hour to match the Ontario minimum wage. Now, he didn't need to do that, okay? He was not legally obligated to do that because uh, our minimum wages has not gone up that high yet, right? Uh, only Ontario did. And however, he took the, he made the decision to increase 
make it messier. To increase the minimum wage to $14 per hour for all his workers. Why is that? Well, I uh, drew a, like, um, I took a snippet from the article and uh, I quoted on the slide here. So I'll read it here on January 15th, 2018. Quote, but while retaining employees in a high turnover industry is important, John Neat said paying more was less a matter of inspiring loyalty than it was of being fair to its workers. It's all about honoring our people. We couldn't do what we do without our employees, without our customers, and we have some really amazing people. Of course, running a business is always a matter of balancing the books, and in order to pay more in wages, the company was faced with the choice of cutting costs somewhere else or raising prices. It opted for the latter, with New Year's prices increases of 1% to 3%. I want you to just bring to your attention on one of the quotes that he said. John Eats said, honoring our people. You notice that? He didn't say honoring our workers. Did he? No. He didn't say honoring our employees. What did he say? He said honoring our people. If you recall his talk two years ago when he was up here, what did he say that our Christian calling was? To be the agents of human flourishing. Right? Uh, to be the agents of human flourishing. To be the agents to allow people the opportunity to flourish. That's who we are. We're called to do that. And so it's no surprise that when Johnny was interviewed that he wouldn't say honoring our employees, he wouldn't say honoring our workers. What did he say? Honoring our people because he sees them as human beings as God would see them. Now, of course, increasing prices. Who has a, uh, went to a JJB before? Right? Their coffee is expensive. <laughs> right? Their coffee is by far, on average, much more expensive than everyone else uh, like, like, uh, around town. But so if you think about it, is it Juxo? Not really. Right? And, uh, and it, would it be, is it foolish for him to actually increase prices? Yes. Because he's, of course he's going to lose market share, and he did. Of course he's going to lose some customers, and which he did. Right? Like, uh, however, he did it anyway because he, he honored his people. He honored his people. It's so silly to do, right? To increase prices and to increase uh, salaries and wages. It's so silly to do that because as a business, like, yeah, especially when you're not obligated to do it and you do it anyway, it just makes yourself look foolish because, hey, like, you're losing profits and you can't expand. You're losing business. What are you doing, right? But he did it anyway. Why? It's because of honoring his, his people. He sees that he, his business, and for all the business owners who are Christian business owners, you should see this business as well, your business as well, as the agent for human flourishing. Here's what he said um, in the next quote. We also get feedback, well, uh, feedback saying, well, your prices went up. Coffee's expensive as it is. I'm never coming back. However, when employees tell customers that the reason for the price increase is that they're taking home a bigger paycheck, people tend to be receptive. So if we as a business owner or as a consumer are fully aware that people are counting on their wages so that they can flourish, i.e. live a humane life, what position are we to take in the minimum wage debate then for today? Right? You hear a lot of arguments from the consumer side. Oh, the prices will go up, and therefore the cost of uh, like, uh, groceries and everything is going to go up. But then we also see in the business owner side, oh, my cost of my bottom line is going to go up. So what position should we as Christians take then in terms of minimum wage? I believe, and this is my own uh, opinion and my own Christian opinion, you could call it an imco if you think, 
right? But my personal opinion is that we should even go further than just minimum wage then. If indeed uh, uh, God, we are agents of the flourishing of all humanity, if we are indeed, like whether we're working, whether we're buying goods, consumer goods, whether we're buying uh, stuff uh, for, uh, to eat, uh, shopping around in our grocery stores or in the malls, if we always have that mindset that everywhere we go, we are an agent for human flourishing, we should even go beyond just the minimum wage. It should be a minimum income. You follow? It, should be, it just shouldn't even be this whole minimum wage debate then. Right? That's what I think. Because if we could see what, how Johnny sees as people, as honoring people, and a, as, a, as God's people, made in God's image, then we, shouldn't, uh, we should actually honor the people that are serving us. Now, you, you probably have your own opinion, so, but that's mine. <laughs> Let's move on. In uh, chapter 24, verse 16, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Now, we hear of stories in the news of how there, there are families who kill their children for the sake of saving the family's face, uh, right? Uh, so the term used is often on the news is honor killing. Children do something that puts the shame to the family, and usually the shame goes to the head of the household, which is the, the man of the household. And um, I think many of us are not familiar with this practice, since many of us are not in that culture, brought up in that culture. Now, this is an ancient practice that was also practiced in Deuteronomy. And how God instructs his people to be different from the surrounding cultures of this day is to stop and not do this honor killing, right? This is what he, he was saying in this passage. And hence, in this particular passage, it's really peculiar, it just stands out here. It reiterates the principle that, <laughs> folks, it's not about our face that we're trying to save here, right? It's like a, the reason why there's such a thing called honor killing is because this head of the household is losing face. And God is uh, telling his people, it is not your face that you're saving, right? And therefore, we cannot, uh, uh, we have to stand out as God's chosen people to say, no, we do not, uh, it's not our face that we're saving. We are here to honor all humanity, all God's people. All right. Are you guys following me here? This is quite heavy. So let's move on. Lastly. Verse 18 to 22. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Now, for those of you who have been with me for a while, and uh, you know my approach to Bible studies, right? You know that uh, what we usually look for? Repetition. And what do you notice in this one passage here? First thing is, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Have we seen, do we see this again? Right? It's, a, it's at the end. So you have this little snippet, a nice little enclosed snippet there, right? And then you also see the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner, right? Also there. I just want to focus on, the, the lastly, on this phrase, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The Israelites didn't need to be saved by God, right? Like, but God fulfilled it anyway because he made a covenant with his people, made a promise, right? 
if we knew, like, uh, for the longest time, like, uh, they were journeying through the 40 years in the desert, like, if somebody was reading the story, I'd go, why, why would God save these type of people when they keep rejecting him, <laughs> right? But he saved them anyway because he kept on believing, like, uh, he was committed to making that covenant, fulfill that covenant with, uh, when he made it with Abraham. And so this whole salvation story, this, uh, the salvation of from Egypt, God reminded his people, because his people is probably asking right now at this moment, near the end of the chapter, God, why? It's still, like, why, are we, why should we like, cancel debts? Why should we not pursue like a, like a, um, like a, you know, finding better deals? Why should we like, increase salaries for, uh, like, uh, for our workers? Why do we need to increase our costs and our bottom line and our businesses? Why should we leave things for the, for the fathers and uh, foreigners and fathers and widows? Like, um, this is basically an, uh, an example of profits, right? Because you have excess. So why should we leave the profits uh, for the fathers and the widows? They didn't do anything to deserve it, right? I planted the vineyard, right? I planted the harvest fields. Why do they need to uh, uh, like take the, my profits? Like, uh, I should keep it in my storehouses, and that's my surplus for a possible rainy day, right? Why do I have to give that? They don't deserve it. So God says, uh, uses this passage to reminds his people, because I saved you. You didn't, need to, you didn't deserve it. I only made the promise to Abraham. In fact, I, like, uh, uh, when you guys were rebelling against me, I was about to uh, like, uh, just use Moses and start a whole new line with Moses. But God, in his grace and mercy, saved his people, reminding them that you do this because of who you are. Save ones. Save ones. God's save ones and God's children. And so when it comes to us, Yes, for me, especially personally, you know, the strata council, right? Like, what? Do I have to continually to allow this guy to walk over us? Right? He's literally, like, abusing the system, right? And then, like, why can't, like, God, why can't I just, like, uh, just hire our lawyer and just evict the guy and so that we don't even have these problems with the garbage and everything, right? Just get rid of him. And then why do I always, like, why can't I complain about the prices of J.J. Bean's coffee, right? Why can't I just go to McDonald's, which you can, right? Go to McDonald's and just buy the $1. Why do I have to, like, uh, like, like and, or if I was J.J. Bean, Johnny, why do I have to raise up my side, like, a pay, pay when I don't have to? It's because God saved us when he didn't have to. We saved us because he loved us. We are his chosen people. He loved his uh, loved human beings. He loved his creation, and he lo- he loves us. Are his created in his own image, and by his grace, we didn't deserve uh, this salvation. We we were in our sin, yet he gave us salvation. He saved us from our sin by his grace. Grace-filled acts is regarded as righteous in God's sight, and so if we are his saved ones, if we are God's saved children. We are too are to perform grace-filled acts because they are regarded as righteous. We are called righteous, so we are to do grace-filled acts. Right? And that's what I want to conclude here this morning. And then you go, okay, but then do we have an, but so how about an example then of who else has given us by his like a like sacrifice for us and like and made himself look like a fool? Well. I included a passage here in Philippians 2.5. 
It goes like this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, folks, today is Palm Sunday. It's one week before um, Good Friday. Oh, well, five days before Good Friday, where Jesus took upon himself, made himself nothing. He's God, but made himself nothing and died for our sins on the most gruesome and most shameful death possible, being hung naked on the cross for us. Ask yourself, if he was more concerned about saving his face, would he have done it? No. If he was more concerned about whether it's jerk soul, <laughs> right, or whether, he's a, whether this is Tapshu or Mienza, right, would, would he have done that? He had many opportunities at the Garden of Gethsemane to just call it quits, right? Because why would he do it? Like, he, would, he was, throughout his whole entire ministry, he was berated by the same people he was supposed to call to die for. He was uh, insulted by the same people. He was told that you are a fool to go, by Peter himself, you are a fool to die. You should be a king, a military warrior. You're, everybody wants you to be right on the throne right now. Right? Why are you going to die? Why die? That's foolish. That's, not, that's losing your face. Why would you do that? It's because of a greater cause. God called Jesus, God sent his son to die for our sins, to save us from our sins, to save us from the punishment of sin, even though we do not deserve it. That's grace, folks. And for us as Christians, if we are so concerned about saving our face, if we're so concerned about you know, getting the deal, if we're so concerned about keeping as much, most money of a, as a, we earn as possible, if we are so concerned about fairness and justice and you know, whatever we call it, you know, we have legal right to get rid of that guy. We have legal right to stay and keep within the, 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 and keep our profit. That's not Christian. Because grace-filled acts are regarded as righteous in God's sight. We are called to find every opportunity to honor others by providing opportunity for others to flourish. And therefore, it calls us, to, though it might make us lose our faith, we are saving others. You follow? We are called to lose our face to save others because Jesus did the same.